Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Hebrews chapter 12, the title of the message today is, Can I Get a Witness? Amen? <clears throat> you didn't get it, did you? Can I Get a Witness? Amen? <clears throat> Amen. Well, we'll look in just a moment at... Um, this. I've called this an addendum to our series on heaven is for real. That series is over, but this is an addendum. Christopher Columbus struggled for years to get an audience with Queen Isabella. She and her husband, King Ferdinand, had their hands full carrying on a war. So she certainly didn't have much time for a crazy sailor to tell her that the best way to get west was to go east. But that's what Columbus was trying to tell her. Eventually, he received his hearing and explained the need for money and ships and supplies. And the queen did what uh, so many people do. She appointed a committee. I never will uh, forget uh, the definition that I've heard of a committee, Jesse. Uh, A committee, a, a camel, is a horse put together by a committee. And uh, which is a pretty good uh, explanation. But uh, so she appointed a committee. And for five years, the committee studied Columbus's proposal. They came back and they said this the idea is impossible. It's just impossible. Well, Columbus persisted. And in response to him, the Queen uh, got a second committee. And the second committee met for an extended period of time. And they came back and they said, the idea is too expensive. So now he had gone for years and years trying to get someone to respond to his idea that the world was not flat and that you could get east by going west and you can get west by going east. So he persisted again. And finally, just to get rid of this guy, uh, Queen Isabella said, all right, I'll give you the money that uh, you need to take the trip. And all of us now are eternally grateful that uh, not that she gave him the money so much as that he was so persistent in the face of discouragement. I want to talk to you today about the Christian life and life in general and our opportunities, if not propensity toward becoming discouraged when we do not get the answer that we want or when things are not going the way that we want we tend to get discouraged. If I were to give this service over today to testimonies and say today we're going to give testimonies not of blessings, but we're going to give testimonies of the things that discourage you in your Christian walk or the things that discourage you in your life. If you were participating, uh, we would have a very, very long service. I've noticed that even times when people are giving testimonies of praise, they spend more time talking about their discouragement prior to the praise than they do about the praise. We can all get discouraged. And I think this, I think that we are living in some discouraging uh, times. I think we're living in discouraging times in general. I think we're living in discouraging times in our Christian walk. But let me say this, discouraging times should not be marked by the number of times that we have quit. We have gotten discouraged and quit. 
but it should be marked by the number of times that we've been discouraged and we pushed through. <clears throat> we stayed faithful. We uh, stayed with the stuff, if you, if you will. We <clears throat> continued to do what we were supposed to do. And we'll do better if we remember that there is a great day coming when our faith will be sight, when we'll be in the presence of Jesus. And as we've heard in the last series, we'll be laying our crowns at Jesus' feet. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 is a chapter that tells us about how we can have a sense of determination even in the middle of discouragement. It tells us how we can be determined to push through and to follow the Lord and to obey the Lord and to rejoice in the Lord even when we don't want uh, to do so. It tells us about his faithfulness and encouragement uh, to us and it encourages our faithfulness to him. This chapter reminds us that our walk and our way <clears throat> are on display. And we really don't have to ask the question, can I get a witness? Because we all have a witness. All of us not only have something we're saying with our lives, we have people who are watching what our lives say. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And <clears throat> let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now today we're going to see three things. We're going to see the witnesses, we're going to see the way, and we're going to see the watch. Now the witnesses will be those people that are watching us. The way is the path that they watch us walk. And the watch <clears throat> is what we're supposed to be doing as we travel in this way that other people are witnessing. First of all, the witnesses. I think all of us have been in a place and got the feeling that someone was watching us, that they were <clears throat> had their eye on us. It can be a little bit uncomfortable when we sense that people are staring at us. Um, is there something wrong with us? Uh, do I uh, have something on my face that I need to get off my face? Am I smiling and I've got lettuce <clears throat> you know, in my teeth? Uh, is there something going on that, that these people see that I don't see? It's a little discomforting. As discomforting as it may be, there <clears throat> are people who are always watching our lives. In particular, they are watching our spiritual race. They're watching because of our profession, because we tell others that we are saved, that we are believers, <clears throat> they watch us in a unique way. Now our text tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud <clears throat> of witnesses. What does that mean? Well, it means that we always have an audience. 
we have an audience <clears throat> to our actions. We have an audience to our reactions. We have an audience to the condition of our attitude. We always have an audience. They're witnessing everything that could or should be uh, influenced by our relationship to Jesus Christ. They watch us to see if we're going to bolster our uh, faith or if we're going to diminish our faith. Now, who are these witnesses? I want to give you three categories of witnesses. Uh, that is people that <clears throat> are observing your life today. And we're going to start with the one that <clears throat> could be <clears throat> the most controversial, not for me, but for some perhaps. And that is the saints in heaven. There are <clears throat> good preachers and theologians, maybe some of you, who disagree with me on this, and that's okay. <clears throat> but I really do believe that the population of heaven is aware of what happens on earth. Now, I've said it like this before. I don't think they're leaning over the banisters of heaven watching what's going on. But I believe that they are aware of what's going on. Don't forget this verse that we covered more than, excuse me, <clears throat> more than once in our Heaven is for Real series, Luke 15, 10. Just so I tell you, <clears throat> there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now here's the question, how can there be joy in the presence of angels over souls saved if there's no knowledge of what takes place on the earth? There has to be some kind of knowledge in heaven of what takes place on the earth. So when we get a little weary and ready to throw in the towel, we should remember that we have a great cloud of witnesses. We have people who are encouraging us. They want us to do well. They want us to finish well. Remember this, they're in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And remember that they've already seen the face of our Lord, and they know what's to come. And they know that we'll be <clears throat> glad that we did our best in our service for Him once we get into His presence. They've seen the Savior's face. They've experienced the joys of heaven. They know, <clears throat> as the song says, that it will be worth it all. So there are saints in heaven who are watching you and me. And by the way, let me say this to you. The saints in heaven are pulling for us. They are applauding us. They are encouraging us. They want us to do well. They do not want us to fail. They do not, they do not want us to succeed to a degree but not to be more successful than them. They want us to have every opportunity and take every chance that is there to follow the Lord and to really bless His name. Those are the saints in heaven. Now, there are also saints on the earth. Here is something that can be a kind of a two-edged sword. It can be a blessing and a warning. The saints in heaven are watching on uh, watching for us and the saints in on earth <clears throat> are watching us and unlike the saints in heaven who are always encouraging us on sometimes sadly the saints on earth aren't so encouraging <clears throat> sometimes sadly the saints on earth have lost sight of the vision they've lost sight of Jesus we're going to come to that in just a moment and they look around at one another and they want to make sure that we're doing better than the others are doing. They want to make sure that our church is doing better than another church. <clears throat> they want to make sure that 
that our preacher can preach better than another preacher. They want to make sure that our music is better than another music uh, in, in another church. They, <clears throat> they are looking around. Now, I wish that they were all pulling for us. And I'm sad that they're not all pulling for us, but that being said, <clears throat> thank God for those who are pulling for our spiritual progress and don't mind telling us. I love that. I absolutely love that. <clears throat> that is something that all of us should think about. We should think about trying to be a positive and an encouragement in the life of another believer. Now, it's very easy <clears throat> to be an encouragement and to be negative at the same time. It's, an, it's very easy <clears throat> to say something uh, positive and uh, to say something negative at the same time. I, I, there's this, this lady that puts out uh, vines, and if you don't know what vines are, they're little seven-second videos, and she puts out vines, and she says things that only Southern people can say. <clears throat> and she said, oh, well, look at that baby. That baby must look like her daddy. It's kind of a two-edged sword, you know, really. There, there are Christians that are that way. There are believers who are that way. Um, when you see a brother or a sister in Christ making progress in his or her spiritual life, find a way to positively reinforce them without insulting them. Find a way to positively reinforce them without saying something negative. You, you, you see somebody making progress and uh, they, they're in church more than they used to be. And, and you say, instead of, wow, it has been so good to see you lately. I am so glad that you're, I just love you. I just absolutely love you. That's one way to say it. Here's another way to say it. Well, I am glad you finally got back on track and got in church. <clears throat> You say, well, who would say it that way? About half of the people who would say it that way. Because we don't understand that we're to be a, an encouragement. We're to encourage people in their faith. Let them know how much you appreciate what's going on in their lives. And do so in a positive way. And, and let me say this to you. <clears throat> I believe that when brothers and sisters in Christ are straying, we should continue to love, to reach out to them and to love them. We should continue to do so. Many of us have gone away and, and, and many have, have gone away and strayed and stayed away because they feared that they wouldn't be well received if they tried to return to the family of God. I've seen people <clears throat> go away and, and want to return, but instead of returning back to where they were, they return to another place because they fear the reception they would get back at the church that they love and the, the Christian family that they love. They shouldn't fear that. They should not be afraid <clears throat> that they're going to be held in horrible judgment. They shouldn't fear that at all. There are people <clears throat> that have disappointed me us in this ministry who I and many of you would still consider to be among your best friends. 
You're still friends with them? Well, yes. I still love this person. I still love that person. I never stopped loving them. There's some of you who have had failures in your lives, failures that, Pastor Ray's been here 22 years. I I know, I've been here longer than 22 years. I know your failures and your shortcomings. But I want to say this to you. Many of you have had failures and shortcomings are in in much better shape today spiritually than you ever were. And one of the reasons is because your church fellowship didn't run out on you when you had a difficulty. It, it, It hurts so bad. It, it hurts me when <clears throat> it hurts me when anybody it comes to a time of divorce. But what often happens to a, a, a family or a couple that's in church together when they come to a time of divorce, they end up not going back to church. And the reason is because they don't want to face people. And the <clears throat> reason for that is because that people, that is us, in general, have not projected an image of trying to encourage people in their walk, even when they stumble in their walk, or they, they have somebody push them over in their walk, or whatever it may be. <clears throat> They're just afraid of that. And you can go on and on and on uh, with those kinds of things. There's yet another group of watchers, <clears throat> and that is the unsaved world. Did you know that unsaved people those who are without any hope of eternity are watching your life and they're evaluating whether or not it's worth it to know Jesus Christ as Savior. We have a responsibility to them and it may be greater than our responsibility to each other. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 69 and verses 5 and 6. Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord of hosts. That's my brothers and sisters. And let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. They're lost people who are watching us. And we have to be mindful that they are watching us. We had kind of this philosophical discussion a little bit yesterday at breakfast at our, <clears throat> I go and play golf on, on Saturdays mostly and, and, and I get there early enough to have breakfast with this group of people. Some are believers, some are not. And we had this discussion yesterday. And, and I said to them, <clears throat> look guys, I know that there is a, a line that is drawn regarding who I am and what I do. I hope you all think I'm a good guy and I hope you all like to be around me and all that kind of thing, but I am always aware that there is an invisible line, things that you can say that I can't, things that I can think but I could never say, things that I might want to do but I could never do that you wouldn't think anything about doing. And in concert, every one of those guys agreed. They said, yep, that's right. I put my hand on, on one of my friends, and I said, I think about you a lot. As, as I live life around you, I think about you a lot because I really care about you, and I, <clears throat> I want you to have the right feeling about 
about my kind of life. Worse to that effect. People are always watching us. I, I read this illustration. It's good enough to read to you. In 1967, Doug Nichols was doing missions work in India when he contracted tuberculosis and was admitted to a sanitarium. They used to call uh, rest hospitals those things. He was admitted for several months. Doug found himself in a, a lonely and a confusing, a troubled place. He did not know the language of the other patients, but he wanted to share the gospel because he was a missionary. All Doug had in the sanitarium were a few gospel tracts in their language, so he tried to pass them out. But nobody wanted them. Nobody did. <clears throat> One night, Doug woke up around 2 a.m. with a coughing spell, and it was so violent that he couldn't catch his breath. And during that coughing fit, he noticed that there was a little old emaciated man across the aisle trying to get out of bed. And that man was whimpering and, and crying a little bit because he was so weak that he couldn't stand up. And he tried and tried, but to no avail. <clears throat> In the morning, Doug realized that the man had been trying to get up and go to the bathroom. And the smell in the ward was just terrible because he had messed his bed. The other patients were angry <clears throat> at the old man for not controlling himself or being able to control himself. And the nurse came the next morning and she <clears throat> cleaned up the mess, she cleaned up the old man, and then she slapped him for messing himself in the bed. Well, the next night, Doug saw the old man again trying to get out of the bed. But this time, Doug got out of the bed and he picked him up and he took him <clears throat> to the place where they used the bathroom, which was just a hole in the floor. And he allowed the man to use the bathroom. And he carried the man back to his bed. And when he put the man back to his bed, the man kissed him on the cheek and laid down and went sound asleep. Early the next morning, Doug awoke to someone standing next to his bed with a cup of hot tea. It was one of the other patients who had seen what Doug had done. <clears throat> and he gave Doug the hot tea and he said, uh, in a way, he wanted one of those tracks that Doug had trying, been trying to give out. <clears throat> and over the next two days, one patient after another took the tracks from a man whose life they were watching. The lost world watches us. They do. <clears throat> the children, our grandchildren, our, our children and others in our family who may not yet be saved, our husbands, our wives, they watch us and they're sizing up Christianity according to how we present it. And as you live this life, you remember, must remember that there are witnesses, saints in heaven and saints on earth and unsaved people on earth who are watching your life. That's the witness, and here's what they're watching. They're watching the way, <clears throat> the way that you're living. What is this race? What route does it take? What is this way being witnessed? That's the way that we live our lives, claiming to be <clears throat> Christians and know Jesus Christ. Somebody who is watching you very closely is deciding if they like your disposition. If they like your, your tone of voice. You ever notice that babies respond to the tone of voice? I have this big, loud, 
<clears throat> voice. When I, when I talk to a baby, I have to soften it down. And I have to talk to the baby like this. That's the way, I, I, Lord willing, I'm going to see my little granddaughter this afternoon. And you know what I'm going to say to her? I'm going to say, hey, darling, how are you? Hey, sweetheart. I'm not going to say, well, Emerson, it's good to see you. <clears throat> I'm going to lower my voice. I'm going to change my tone because she's responding to my tone. Unbelievers respond to our tone, to our slant of conversation, to the behavior of our children, to the clothes that we wear, to the places that we go, the places we won't go, and on <clears throat> and on it goes. Now, what can we do about this? Well, we have to remember that we're in a race, and we have to do what it takes to win the race. Going back to our text, Hebrews 12 now, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, there are two words that come to mind when I read this verse. The first word is grace. We are to run the race with grace. Now, none of you have ever seen me run. Oh, there may be, there's, there's a couple. I, actually, I, I look over here. Susan Bowman saw me run because she went to the one turkey trot that I ran one time when I ran the 5K. That is my only time in my life that I ran that somebody didn't make me run. And actually, I was pressured into running that time. I don't run well. I don't run well for a lot of reasons. Number one, I'm a ray. Rays were not built to run. <clears throat> None of us were built to run. I had three sons. None of the three sons could run. One of the sons still cannot run. The other two sons have learned how to run. The reason they learned how to run is because I sent them to Florida State University during the summer to speed camp to learn how to run. And they, they're not fast, but they're faster. We're just not <clears throat> built for running. I'm slow. I'm awkward. I have almost no endurance. I'm just not built for it. I'm, I'm a, a bit unathletic. I carry a little too much weight. I'm just not a runner. Now, a lot of people are like me in their Christian lives. They're not really running because they're carrying too much weight or they carry too much sin. And there's a difference between the weights and sins in our lives. Weights can be anything from an attitude to a bad habit that hinders our ability to grow in grace and to run the race. Discouragement is a weight. Defeat is a weight. Hurt feelings. Now, too much of anything from television to our favorite pastime, these can all be weights. There seems to be no end to the ways that we can weigh ourselves down. Weights are those things that are baggage to our spiritual good health. But there's an interesting thing about weight. Weight is something that we hold on to. And people notice that we're holding on <clears throat> to these weights. We, when we hold on to these weights, we are literally slowed down. Aren't there some things you would like to do that you know that God would have you to do? but you are not in a position to do because you've weighed your life down with things that are keeping you from getting to it? Really, think about that. <clears throat> That's all a deliberate thing with us. 
So a lot of people are weighed down, but there's another reason that we may not run the race with grace, and, and that is because of sin in our lives. Now, our text says to lay aside weights and sins, and there is a difference between weight and sin. Here's the difference. We hold on to the weights, but the sin holds on to us. There is that difference. Weight slows us down, but sin clings to us and gets us off track and plagues and provokes us until we drop out of the race altogether. And so you have to decide, <clears throat> what are those things that I'm holding on to versus what are those things that are holding on to me? And those things that are holding on to you are the things that have to be, that you, that you have to deliberately ask God to get, get out of your life. Those things that are clinging to you. And, and could I say this? There's not a person in this room that doesn't have something clinging to you. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have a weight you're holding on to yourself or a, a sin that is clinging to you. And you say, Pastor Ray, you stand up on Sunday morning in the middle of the summer and telling the people who did show up that they are sinners. I'm telling you that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's what the Bible says. We're all sinners. There's none <clears throat> righteous, no, not one. When I look at you in comparison to me, I think you're wonderful. When I look at you in comparison to Christ, I know you're not. But I don't look at you in comparison to Christ because I'm doing, I've got enough trouble just keeping my own eyes <clears throat> right. So we're to run the race without the burden of weight and without the <clears throat> sidetracking of sin. We have to run gracefully. Here's another word, endurance. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word endurance connotes determination. I am determined. I am not going to, to get off the track. I am not going to stop. We have to be determined to succeed in the race no matter what. We have to determine. <clears throat> we must persevere. You say, well, is that our salvation? No, that's not our salvation. I, I'll tell you this. I believe that those who are saved do persevere and should persevere and will persevere. But we ought to persevere with grace. We ought to persevere <clears throat> with determination. In our Christian walk, nothing should stop us from staying true to Jesus. When we get discouraged or our toes get stepped on or we fall down or things don't go to suit us, uh, we must press on for the cause of Christ and the glory of God and not allow ourselves to be discouraged. There are people that you know today who are not in God's house on this Lord's day. And if you ask them, why don't you go to church anymore? They'll tell you about someone who discouraged them or someone who offended them or somebody that did something that they didn't like and somehow another church wasn't everything that they expected it and wanted it to be so they just dropped out. Listen carefully to me. That is without excuse. We are not in God's house to look and see how wonderful each other are. We are in God's house to worship him and keep our eyes on him. I, I brought Sarah Kraft up here earlier. Less than 100 pounds of loving Jesus is what she is. 
and I just adore her. But I'm going to tell you this. If I was with her 24-7, I'd probably find a couple of things weren't so adorable. But I've decided to adore her. I've decided that I love her. I've decided that, that regardless, she is, she is somebody who can be a blessing to the work of God and a blessing in my life. I'm going to tell you this. I got a former staff member that had an affair with a woman. And I love him. And he is my friend. And I encourage him. And, and I, I hurt for him, but I'm blessed by him too. He's with his wife and they're doing fine. And the only time that I think like I'm thinking right now is when I deliberately think to, of that way. Otherwise, I think my friend is doing well. We, we must understand, folks, we must understand that, that there is a certain amount of endurance, and endurance does not mean perfection, it means persistence. Have you not fallen down? Have you not gone astray? Have you not disappointed somebody else or yourself? Do you want people to give up on you because you have? Or do you want to get up and run the race with endurance? It's endurance. Well, the witnesses, the way, let's finish with the watch. Most sports have a coach. It's his job to see that the players are instructed, motivated, and play the game as a team. In our, in our life, it's interesting. The coach is also the judge. He's the referee. He's the umpire. He's the team owner. In fact, he bought and paid for the team and, and made us all players, put us on the team. That's the way it is in our Christian race. And we just have to watch him and listen to his coaching. Here's what the text says. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I am an expert in no one sport. None. I am an expert in channel changer. But I'm not an expert in any one sport. However, I've hung around some sports to know a few things, enough to know some things. I've hung around baseball. By the way, i got to say something about baseball real quick. And uh, I hope you don't cut this out of... Uh, uh, when, when you're editing this for the other markets, uh, I'm talking to my editor right now. I don't, don't cut this out. The baseball team at North Florida, Christian, North Florida Christian School was voted by Max Preps, one of the main rating, uh, uh, main rating organizations in the nation. They voted North Florida Christian School baseball this year number one in the nation in schools under 1,000. You can applaud that if you would like. By the way, that's high schools under 1,000. That's a lot of schools. And Mike is our coach and has been here for 31 years. Mike, I've hung around baseball enough to know this. I've watched you enough to know this. I've listened to you enough to know this. That when a runner gets on base, 
he does not assess the basis for himself. He keeps his eye on the coach. He watches the coach. As he comes to first, he watches the coach at first base who tells him either to hold up or, or uh, to, to go around a second. And as he is rounding second, he looks to the third base coach and he looks to the third base coach who's going to tell him to hold up there or to come on. And as he's running to third, then he uh, keeps his eyes on that third base coach who may tell him to go on or to hold up. Now there's one reason that you watch the coach because the coach knows where the ball is. The runner should not concern himself with the ball. He should concern himself with the coach. In fact, if he concerns himself with the ball, he is probably two to three, maybe four times more likely to get thrown out than if he concerns himself with the coach. Now here's what the verse is saying. The verse is saying that we should concern ourselves with the coach and not concern ourselves with how somebody else is living their life. Not concern ourselves with what somebody else does or doesn't do. Not concern ourselves with with what somebody else has or doesn't have or what uh, somebody is compared to us. We are to keep our eyes on the coach. We are to keep our eyes on Jesus. We are to fix our eyes on Him. And when we keep our eyes on Him, Everything will work out. When we take our eyes off him, nothing works out. It's our focus. What if somebody disappoints you? Will it be a devastating disappointment or is your focus so much on Jesus that you can live with it? What if somebody steps on your toes? Is your focus such that you can continue on or when your toes get uh, stepped on, do you have to stop and sit down and nurse your toes while the race passes you by? Our focus is to be on him. Not only should we watch him for instruction, but we should watch him for inspiration. Look what he has done that we haven't. Verse three of our text, consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood the apostle paul suffered many disappointments and setbacks but he learned this valuable lesson that he has to keep his eyes on the lord because it's through the lord that he can do anything and everything philippians 4 13 i can do all things through him who strengthens me. You can. I I'm, I'm really don't like to, to sound like the example here, but I gotta tell you something. When God called me to preach back in 1973, I was fearful of it. Now, I'm going to tell you the reason that I was fearful. I was fearful because I knew my record. I was not a great athlete. I was not a great student. I was not great at anything except garnering attention. I could get everybody's attention. I was very entertaining. But other than that, I wasn't much of anything. 
And when God called me to preach, my greatest fear was that I would quit. That I would start this and quit it. That was my greatest fear. I didn't want to say out loud, this is what I'm going to do, because I was afraid that I would quit it. It scared me. But I have to say this to you, that I'm now 41 years past that calling. If you had asked me in 73, will you still be preaching in 41 years, I couldn't have given you an answer. But I can tell you why I am still preaching after 41 years. It's because that to the best of my ability, when my toes got stepped on, and when I got discouraged, when somebody hurt my feelings, and somebody reacted the wrong way, and somebody said something they shouldn't have said, when somebody got my goat, and on and on and on it goes, there was a period of readjustment when I got my eyes back on the Lord. That's the only way to do it, folks. If, if you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you will quit this Christian walk. You will faint before the harvest if you don't keep your eyes on him. If you do not keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll at some point say, what's the use, and find something else to do with your life in that place where Christianity had been occupied. But if you'll keep your eyes on him, you'll be inspired by the fact that he endured the cross and despised the shame and that he overcame death with life and gave that eternal life. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.